You're listening to a podcast of Family Church in West Monroe, Louisiana. Wherever or however you're listening, our hope is that this message would be challenging and inspiring for you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. Thanks for listening, and let's head to the message. This is the last Sunday of this uh, series, uh, Untangled. And uh, it began actually in in part in, in August when I talked about the the vision for family church, and uh, I did an intro one week, and then I did a message on pursue God, and the next week on make disciples, and then this strengthening the family part of the vision, which is the thumbprint of family church. Um, I began two weeks ago, last week I spoke about men, and this morning I finished that with children and women, and uh, we believe and God, God's word is very clear that the family is at the heart of God, and it is the way our faith is passed on. And uh, this morning, as I share with you, I couldn't share with you something I believe stronger or is more important to you and your children and your grandchildren and your spiritual legacy to be passed on, that your children might grow up to know, truly know, be passionately in love with Jesus Christ. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. Now, I know they don't seem like that all the time, but they are. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man, and we are thankful they are born to young men. As a grandfather, we are thankful they are born to young men. And are like arrows in a warrior's hand. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. And some of you it's had a much bigger quiver than others of us. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. When it comes to seeing those children that God has given you and blessed us with, whether he's blessed blessed you with them through birth or through adoption or through fostering or uh, some family situation, when it comes to seeing those children live according to God's plan, there, there are very few things in life that compare to the joy that that brings those of us in this room, right? Deuteronomy Chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. I know yours says 4 through 9, but I had them go back and put 1 through 3 in because I felt like I needed to read it all. And here's a verse. I know we've read this a thousand times. For those that were here Wednesday night, it was actually read Wednesday night too. Don't cut me off right now but because we've read this so many times. Listen to me as I read God's word to you. Listen to what this says. Listen to what this calls us to. This really, really matters. And I'm doubting that anybody in the room has reached perfection at Deuteronomy 6 yet. Uh, And if you have, pray for the rest of us. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord, your God, commanded me to to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. 
And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live. If you, if you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. Do you think there's a difference as to what happens in your life when you obey God and when you don't obey God? Obeying God doesn't remove all the pain from life, but it certainly makes things go well. It brings peace to our lives. It brings the strength we need to stand through the storm. All will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And and you can't do the part that we've come to, that we've read already, if you don't do that part. If you don't love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home. And when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. It is so critically important that we wholeheartedly obey God. We wholeheartedly obey these commands that God gives us in his word, that we repeat them again and again and again. How many people understand that anything you direct children on, there must be repetition? Entire education plans are written on repetition. Homeschooled, public school, Christian school, private school, There's still a lot of repetition as children go through school because you don't hear it one time and then remember it all. It doesn't work like that. Family church has a vision for children to know, love, and serve God. We desire for our kids to truly know him. Children that have their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the most concerning things to me as a parent with children that grew up in the church, around church people, and with the message of the gospel in our home and in children's church and in a Christian school, my, one of my biggest concerns was, and I would say this to Renee, I'm concerned that they have their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ and not just a moment of prayer. But a, as they grow up, as, it, as their age increases and their ability to understand and, and, and engage a relationship with Christ, do they truly know him? Because I knew they liked the place. 
I knew they liked the people. I knew there was a lot of positives, but I knew those things would not carry them as adults to obey God's word. They would have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ when the storms came at 18, at 22, at 29, at 37. They would have to have their own relationship with Jesus and not dads or moms. Children that have their questions answered by, we have a vision of children that have their questions answered by parents that understand we live in a different world. Now, I want to tell, I think you know this, but many of the people in this room at at a lot of different ages, you grew up and when you heard the message of Jesus Christ and either because of culture or your personality or whatever, you just believed. You didn't ask a lot of questions. It seemed reasonable to you. God touched your life. You were saved, you began a relationship, and you didn't ask a thousand questions about salvation and the truth of Scripture and and, and the Bible and, and how did that happen? Are we sure that's true? Are we sure that's real? And I'm glad that you accepted it like that, but we live in a different world today. Our, Our children hear questions that we never heard. They have access to information that we didn't, we would have had to go and work very hard to, to get access. The, the information was out there 40 years ago, but it was hard, much harder to get than it is today. There were people who didn't believe in God. There were atheists. There were people who believed part of the Bible was true and the other part of the Bible was not true. But they were, it was harder to find your children at their fingertips have access to the finest arguments of the what is considered the top atheist in the world in your home this afternoon. They have access to that information. That they could, if you told them by tonight at 6 o'clock, I want you to ask three intelligent questions that's tough for Christians to answer about the Bible. Your kids can go between now and 6 o'clock tonight and find that out. We didn't grow up in a world like that. We would have had to go to the library and see if Dewey Decimal System was still there. It would have been a much longer journey. Kids, I know you don't know about Dewey. But he was a decimal and he had a system. And many of us were not crazy about old Dewey. (laughs) Uh, They used to have a thing called a library. I was talking to a parent from, from family church. It's actually Clayton Poland, his son, Ethan. I was talking to Clayton early one morning while I was lifting very heavy weights at a local gym. Well, maybe part of that story is true. Just the heavy weights, it was not. But Clayton and I were probably avoiding what was supposed to be going on or acting like we were working hard. But anyway, he said that Ethan had asked him a question. Ethan's in college. Ethan had asked him a question about do you think uh, there's any chance that the first part of Genesis is an allegory and not a real true story? And he gave a couple of reasons why he might think that. And uh, his dad actually gave great answers to that, as very supportive answers. But I, I'm not going to go into their story, 
But I am going to talk to you about questions for a moment. Let's say, let's say you're a parent, your child asks you that, and you have no idea how to answer it. The, you know the great things for those of us that believe in God and believe in the Word of God? All those things I just said that were true about finding the biggest name atheist? Well, the biggest answers to their questions are just as easily accessible to, to you. It's not just them that have access to information. You have access to information. And if they gave you those three questions right now, by 6 o'clock tonight, you could have some decent answers. I'm not saying you'll be a world-class scholar, but you could get some decent answers. But if that parent looks at that child and says, well, that's stupid, you're going to have a tough time building the faith of a child, passing your faith on to a child. If you look at that grandchild or that child and say, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Of course it's true. They may say, okay, and walk out of the room, but you haven't dealt with the issue. We live in a different world than the world you were raised in. Now, God is the same God as in the world you were raised in, but it's a different world. And we we have to understand that those questions matter. You guys, and when kids have questions like that, if, we're, if our vision is for our children to know, love, and serve God, then when they ask you a question that might seem ridiculous to you, you cannot look at them like they're stupid or say that they're stupid. You guys say, well, well tell me more about that. What would make you ask that question? What would, what would make you think that? Where does that, you know, what, what were your things that brought that up in your mind? Because you want more to know. Is there somebody influencing their life? Is there somebody raising those questions around them? Is it questions they have themselves? And that's when you as a parent, if you don't know how to get good resources or whatever, by very godly people who have spent their life answering those questions, you ask for help. And if you ever cut off your child in one of those discussions... Go back to them when you realize you've messed up and go back and say, I won't take another shot at that. You know, messing up the first time doesn't mess you up forever if you've got the sense to apologize. <laughs> Thank goodness, right? So, I want us to understand that if our vision is for our children to know, love, and serve God, we've got to understand that we live in a different world and we're going to have to answer some questions that were not important for us to have answered when we got saved. But they're going to live in a tougher world than you lived in 20 years from now if the Lord hasn't come back. And they're going to have to know more than you've known. They're going to have to know God's word better than you've known it. They're going to have to have an understanding of God's word. They're going to have to truly believe that God's word is true. They're not going to grow up in the world you grew up in. And we have got to work with our children that they have a higher level of understanding more knowledge of the Word of God, more knowledge of why the Word of God is true, answers to difficult questions because they are going to face questions and difficulties and people in their face and people living by a different lifestyle in ways that we have never known or understood. So, 
I, I'm, I'm trying to help you understand your assignment's bigger than my assignment was. And your assignment's bigger than your, the, my, my grandfather's assignment was. Or it's tougher. It's harder because of the world we live in and it's turned towards sin. So we must be prepared for that. There, we can't change all of that, but we can change us. By looking to God, by seeking God, by knowing God. And I'm going to keep moving. Most of us will never be guilty of not taking care of the basic needs of our children. Food, shelter, clothing, education. If we damage our children, it will most likely be in our example of following Jesus Christ or being overprotective of them, smoothing out all the rough spots that we think they might encounter as they grow up. Now, I'm going to get a little bit uh, lighter with you here for a moment, but many of you are aware of helicopter parenting, lawnmower parenting. I'm just going to touch lawnmower, then we're going to do a little test on helicoptering. Lawnmower parents is a terrible style of child rearing where the parent, in effect, mows down any obstacles, issues, or problems for their kids. So they never have to deal with anything bad. Now, let me tell you, if you do all the other stuff right and you do this one wrong, it's going to mess up your kids. If you, because life isn't going to be like that. There are going to be obstacles. I just said life's going to be tougher. The situations they face are going to be tougher and more intense than anything we've faced. So if they grow, if they get to 18 and they've never had a problem because you smoothed it all out, they are not going to be well equipped, no matter what they know, to deal with the tough side of life. And all of us know that life has a tough side. I'm going to give you a few questions. These are not, you know, you could qualify without saying yes to any one of these. Some of these are meant to be funny. But you might be a helicopter parent if you only let your child play on playgrounds with shredded rubber mulch. You might be a helicopter parent if the first thing you did when your fourth grader came home crying from school because her best friend Jill called her a name is to call Jill's mom to get all of that sorted out. You might be a helicopter. Some of you are thinking, why is that strange? You might be a helicopter parent. If you found yourself up at 11 p.m. rewriting your child's English essay, I never did that one time. They would have failed. (laughs) Because, Because you know that they could have done a better job if they hadn't been so tired. You might be a helicopter parent. If your eight-year-old still has training wheels on their bike, not that you let them ride it often because sidewalks and roads are too dangerous and they go too fast for you to run alongside. You might be a helicopter parent if it has never crossed your mind to have them help out by preparing dinner or cleaning the house, knives are sharp and cleaning fluids are too dangerous for your child to be involved in such issues. You might be a helicopter parent. If you and your son 
are having a meeting with the teacher, and when she asks a question to him, you answer for him. (laughs) You might be a helicopter parent if your child didn't get accepted to his preferred major at college, so you call the chair of the department to negotiate or give $500,000 so that your child gets in. (laughs) or 10,000 for somebody to take the test. Let's don't be unreasonable here. And then you argue that you didn't do anything wrong. This is normal. Yeah, for crazy people. (laughs) How do we raise and equip children to pursue God and stand against the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom whom he may devour? Family Church wants to partner with you to build strong, capable, mature children. Children that are relationally, emotionally, spiritually able to deal with life. Our vision for strengthening families is based on God's Word and not culture. Children that know God's Word and obey God's Word. Children that have watched an example of God being first above everything from their parents. You want to help your children? Set an example before them that you truly put God first. You don't just say you put him first. You actually put him first. And our... Another part of our vision for strengthening families is for parents to be passionately in love with Jesus Christ. Do do you know what it looks like when somebody's passionately in love with something? Do do you know what people do when they really love something? They really like it. They they really love something. Do, Do your children see you love God like that? Are they convinced from the top of their head to the sole of their feet that you love God? Does it come out in conversation? Does it come out in your life, your lifestyle, that you really, really love God? If it does, it'll make an incredible difference with the children you're raising in your home. That doesn't mean you're perfect, but for them to see, grow up in a home where for 18 years they're convinced every day their mom and dad are in love with Jesus Christ, it would make a profound difference. And we believe that in 2019, and if the Lord doesn't come back 2025 and 2035, that you can raise godly children in West Monroe, Louisiana, or anywhere else in the world. You can raise children that have a firmer grasp on their relationship with Jesus Christ when they get your age. We believe that, don't we? It's not just words to us. It's not just a thought to us. It's what we're giving our lives to because we know it's the only answer for eternity. Children, a gift from the Lord. And we as parents and grandparents and church leaders and small group leaders and youth workers and children's workers are dynamically affecting the life of those children and what they see in us. Never forget that.
Okay, and now to women. I know you've been waiting for that for a long time. Most of you know, you know me as a dad of two sons. So we had a family that Renee was outnumbered three to one. So you think I don't know anything about women. I grew up with a mother and two sisters in my family of origin. I now have four granddaughters that Martin West continually reminds me of and laughs at me and how I treat them differently than I treated my sons. A young lady that I consider a daughter, I'm pointing over there because I guess she's over there, but I haven't seen her. Two daughters-in-law and a wonderful wife. And a church filled with women, young ladies, and girls that I love with all of my heart and deeply desire to be a church that helps them be all God designed them to be. Amen? I'm not saying that I'm an expert now, but I am saying I have a working knowledge of the topic that I'm about to talk about. I watch these women pursue God, seek to become fully devoted disciples, make disciples of their children and the people they reach for Christ. I respect the incredible gift we have in the women that are a part of Family Church. Can you imagine for a moment in all the other ministries that are going on today if all the women were going like that? Can you imagine in a church what a church would be if all the women were gone? What a responsibility we have to see the ladies of Family Church continue to mature in Christ and pass on to younger women coming behind them the Christian lifestyle that is good and that honors God. This is a little side note that I added late. When you talk about women, you almost always assume that you know, three-fifths of the message, four-fifths of the message is going to be about submission. In my preparation for this message, I, I asked God this. If you were going to fix one of these two problems, God, which would you fix? Man's, men, man's problem with submission to you or women's problem with submission to men? I'm not suggesting he answered. I think I know the answer to that. If I, could, if I could do like that and one problem in this church be fixed of those two, Andy, I would fix our problem with submission to God because I believe that would have the most profound effect across our church and in the lives of our families and our children. It would make a huge difference if men did submission to God right, but it's a continual struggle for us. We cannot lighten up. We must press forward in being the church and being the men and being the women that God has called us to be. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. I'm only going to read 18 but because I already in this series, I've read those other verses. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. When, every, amen, when everything on earth had been created, Adam was formed 
It was, think of the perfection. Everything was perfect. It was God, Adam, and everything that God had created. But it was still not quite right. How many places have you been, situations you've been in, and you thought, something's not quite right? I I know that feeling. It could be great, you know, things could be great, but something was missing. It's just not quite right. Well, that's the way it was until Eve showed up. (laughs) (laughs) Creation, we're in a perfect place with a perfect God, with a perfect man at that point, and it was not right until Eve was created. I contend that there are many stories and situations that are just not right without the right woman, the right godly woman. God's story has been carried out by strong, determined, obedient men and strong, determined, obedient women. Women who are confident in who they are, yet they are meek and gentle. They're everything God calls them to be. Family church has a vision to see women of God become everything they were designed and purposed by the plan of God to be. Family church believes that we can have a church full of women fully committed to Jesus Christ. Women confident in who the Lord created them to be and free from comparisons to the gifting, strengths, and beauty of other women. But that is tough. That is difficult. Amen? There is no easy path to becoming a godly woman or raising godly children. It's hard work, and it's a lifelong process. Many men in the Bible won by power. They had a big sword in their hand. The Bible tells how large their sword were, how many people they killed with it. While women many times won without a sword, a knife, or anything, but by totally trusting God. Totally trusting God. I'll be honest, that has truly spoken to me as I prepared for this message. I paid close attention to how God empowered different people and how he empowered some men and how he empowered women. Women have all kinds of giftedness within the body of Jesus Christ. Women have been blessed with many talents, all for God's glory, within the plan, plan of God. (laughs) You thought it was 59, I'm 12. (laughs) Genevieve asked me Friday night, she said, Pops, why is your hair white? Because I like it like that. <laughs> I said, because I'm very old. I can't remember what she said back. <laughs> you can be secure and confident in who Christ has created you to be and without the worldly sense or the need to prove it. Confidence isn't always bold. It isn't always walking in and taking over the room. It comes in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And there can be quiet meekness and you can be confident in the person that God called you to be. I think of the story of Shipra and Pua. Now, I've got a lot of bad names in here today. 
And yes, I go to that, pronounce this word. I listen to it three different ways, and that even confuses me worse. There, there's a, there's, you can Google it. You can put these people's names in, see how close I came. Exodus 1, 15 through 22. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave his order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipra and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. If it is a girl, let him live. Let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this? He demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and they have, they have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. So maybe they were infertile up to that time. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Shipra and Pua gave this, were given this task that they were not going to do. They couldn't obey the law of the land because it would have broken the law of God. So they didn't do it. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. To me, this screams of the strength of women. When I look at many biblical stories, I think, you know, I understand God empowered them to kill all those people and do whatever, but they had a sword. In situation after situation in Scripture, and especially some of these Old Testament stories, the woman didn't have a sword. You, you know, she, she didn't have a chance of, uh, if God hadn't touched that man, he might still could have outfought somebody. I mean, he'd still probably gotten killed on the third one, but you know what I mean? He might have won the first two. But with these ladies, if the Pharaoh said kill them, it's over. They have no weapon to come back with. They have to trust God fully, completely. Can you imagine the level of boldness, confidence in God, and total trust this action took? This from women who were not the great leaders of Israel, but from women who were midwives and not at the top of the food chain. If you look at the book of Esther, the Old Testament, we see a beautiful woman. She had a relative named Mordecai, and she saves all the Jews in Persia from being killed, and Haman gets destroyed instead because of her brave actions, because she asked, she stepped in in a place where she could have been killed simply for asking a question. Esther's beauty was given to do God's bidding. She was a part of God's plan. And she made a huge difference for these Israelites. There are so many examples of women who have advanced the cause, the work of God, through obedience to God, through doing what God told them to do. In 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2, we read the story of Hannah. God healed her of infertility and she bore a son. Given to her from God, she took him to Eli. She, she, she got the one son. She said, God, if you'll give me a son, she took that son and she gave him back. 
to Eli. 1 Samuel 1, 6 through 8 says, So Peniah would taunt Hannah and make fun of her. You got to listen to this, ladies. You, you think you have it tough? You think somebody's, you, you know, they, they think they're better than me or whatever? Well, in these scriptures, all those questions are taken away. So you don't have to figure it out. It's said. It's not an imagined offense. It's an offense. Year after year, it was the same. Benaiah would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? Men are brilliant, and that's proof. Why aren't you eating? Why be downtrodden just because you have no children? Then it even gets better. You have me. Isn't that better than having 10 sons? I should have preached on men three weeks. Because <laughs> anybody would ask a question like that. Anyway, the Old Testament is filled with stories of tough roles women were given. The New Testament is filled with women that played vital roles in the story of Jesus Christ and the advancement of the gospel. The one that we know the most, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. What she was, what she was commanded to do, what, what the angel told her to a young single woman is huge. And yet she obeyed him. She trusted God. Family, church desires women that have embraced and understood that there will be trials and there will be pain with hope and confidence, knowing they build godly character and endurance. Those trials, those difficulties will make you stronger. They are opportunities for growth, according to James chapter 1, but they're tough. We believe there are women that love the Lord, not just by saying they love the Lord, but by doing God's bidding, doing what God calls you to do. Women that are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, loving and bold. Women that work hard and serve the Lord. I'm going to skip a couple of stories here in uh, Phoebe and Priscilla and move on. We believe that there are women and you can be a woman, a woman that is blameless and do what is right before God. Acts 2, 14 through 21 says, Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In these last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy and I will cause wonders in heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and clouds of smoke the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day the Lord arrives but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved 
Jesus Christ honored the role of women. Women are critically important to the message of Christ going forward back then, and they are important today. God desires to use you. He has a place, a role. When a, when a man and woman are joined together as one, many times in that relationship, the woman has stronger giftedness in certain areas. This does not undo God's plan for the family. Husbands, men, you're not going to be at the best at everything in your, in your marriage, in your home, in your life. I'm the lead pastor of family church. That does not mean I'm the strongest or best leader in the church. I'm simply called by God to be the leader in the church, and we all work together to do God's bidding. Renee is more gifted than me in some areas of life, and many of you would say, yes, many, many areas of life, Terry. Your wife might be better with money than you are. She might be a more naturally gifted leader than you are. She might be the extrovert while you're the introvert. We would prefer to be quiet. She might be fun and you're not. <laughs> she might plan trips and you watch. Women having great roles in a church or great roles in a family does not have to undo the plan of God of headship of, a, of the church, of a man, of a woman. We can function in our calling and we can be gifted at something. I believe I can be the lead pastor of family church and not be the best at everything. We got to hope that's true. And it's the same way in your home. It's the same way in your family. We complicate it. We complicate things. And when I start hearing men use scripture to beat their wives down and for them to prove that they should be the leader in everything and the best at everything in their home i'm thinking you do not have a clear understanding of scripture you do not have a clear understanding of roles and the, the fact that you're the head of the home does not mean that she's a knucklehead it only means what you're saying only means you're a knucklehead i don't tell that we believe that Family church can be a church of women that know God's word. Women that prophesy, seeking the best gifts and using those gifts in the church. We believe that family church can be full of ladies that understand that they are essential to the kingdom of God going forward. In the church, in their home, with their children, they are a part of God's plan. Family church believes in women that build up their husbands and children and friends. Women that put God first, their husbands second, and their kids third. Women that accept each new season of life. Life is different for a 20-year-old woman and a 40-year-old woman, a 30-year-old woman and a 50-year-old woman, a 60-year-old woman and an 80-year-old woman. And God would have you embrace every season of your life. And understand the value you bring to the table at those different times and your calling and your roles, which changes many times over those age changes. 
As, as older women and, and Titus are clearly told to teach younger women, and the younger women of family church desperately need the older women of family church to accept their place and their age and what they offer to younger women. Family church sees a church that is filled with women that encourage others, cheer others on in friendship and achievements, being a group, a body of women that are unified, a body of women who care about the successes of one another. Instagram is trying a thing right now. I don't know if they've tried it here. I haven't noticed that they've tried it here. But, you know, they're trying a thing now where they don't count the likes. It's been done in several regions already. And I read this week that Facebook's about to do the same. When, when we establish our worth on the number of likes our picture gets that we put up of our grandkids or our kids or our vacation spot or whatever, you understand that causes big problems for everybody because God has made us all differently. He's gifted us differently. But when women or men or churches or pastors decide their value based on how many likes they have on a social media site, can you understand that would, that would undermine the plan of God in all of our lives? What? And then you turn it to a 13-year-old girl whose friend gets 50 likes every time she posts something and she gets 10. And then she wants to get 50 likes. We have got to be a church where we bring stability to the lives of young girls and women. And how do I know they struggle with that stuff? Because, you know, I'm not totally innocent. You, know, you understand? I've looked at how many likes I got one time. More than one time. Okay, two times. I, I don't think it's a big problem in my life, but I've checked it a couple times. And then when I realize the problem, I, I go on a vacation from that. Make sure I keep it, keep it in line. But that didn't start with Instagram. Preachers forever counted their, their, their success with God based on how many people showed up on Sunday morning. If there were 725 on a Sunday, then I'm a good pastor. If there's 650 on a Sunday, then I'm a poor pastor. Those are dangerous places. And we all understand that people, and sometimes specifically women, struggle with these things. We need a church of women that say encouraging words to one another, even when it's tough. Women that return good for evil and refuse to attack when they feel left out or uninvited. Family Church has a vision of women who speak the truth in love. Women that want to be God's woman. Young men of family church, if you want a wife with these qualities, it's great that she's pretty. Renee is pretty. She was pretty when I started dating her. And you may think she, she acts like she enjoys your hobbies and the weird stuff about you right now. But you might want to consider living with her for the next 50 years. Is she pursuing God? Are you good with her heart for God? 
because she will have incredible influence over your children. I'm not going to read Proverbs 31, but I'm going to say some words that summarize good parts of it. A woman who's trustworthy, eager, purposeful, and savvy, sacrificial, or just plain responsible, diligent, physically capable, disciplined, compassionate, prepared, tidy, elegant, neat, supportive, submissive, humble. You know, that woman was impressive, or that type of woman listed in those verses of scripture. I, I've said at Peaceful's funeral, this was a, or, or in, in honoring somebody, this is a Proverbs 31 woman. I guess that doesn't mean that they're every, because if you're everything on that, you're something else. Only, I want to tell you something. When, when, when you struggle with feeling down, it's only Satan that would strive to make you feel less. God's kingdom doesn't benefit from you feeling like you don't matter or you are just a slave to enhance the lives of men. I said last week that the number of men at family church is not normal. We have so many men. And when you all stood up last week, it, it touched several of us just to, to look at it. But I want to also say that that points to strong women that love God. And some of you made the gospel so attractive to your husband by the way you lived it out before he came to Christ. You didn't condemn him. You didn't beat him up. You didn't rake him over the coals every day. You loved God. You did it right. And they knew there was something different in you. And they came to Jesus Christ. You can be a woman of the word. You can be a woman that's pursuing God and truly seeking to know him. Passionately in love with Jesus Christ. If, you're, if you grew up in a family, if you're a 25-, 35-year-old woman here today and you grew up in a family where spiritual growth was not a high value, talked about priority in your home, give yourself a break. Celebrate where you are and keep coming. You can make surprising progress when you turn your eyes to Jesus and accept mentoring and follow after ladies that are ahead of you on this journey. The journey to seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of Christ. If you accepted Christ at 25 or if you had just accepted as a teenager, but it really didn't revolutionize your life until you were 28 and, and, and recommitted your life to him. And you're 29 now on a scale of one to 10, you're not going to be an eight. Most likely it's a journey. A woman carries many titles, hats, but has an understanding must have an understanding of her identity in Jesus Christ. This is essential. Confident in who Christ created you to be. No comparison with anyone, especially not comparing yourself to the perfection posted on social media. Do you understand the people? I'm not, I'm not attacking social media. We're on social media at Family Church. But do you understand the people in social media are looking and having to Answer the tough questions about the impact on the lives of women and young girls and men and whoever. You can be a woman who encourages others. You don't have to compete with everybody. You can cheer others on in friendship and achievements that they make. You can celebrate with them. Women at family church can be unified, can be a safe place. Can you imagine the people that would want to walk in our door if the women of family church were an incredible safe place where they were built up and encouraged 
and help through their struggles. And it was not a competition like the world. Lauren Daigle says in her song, you say, in you, God, I find my worth, my identity. Think how our lives would change, all of us, and specifically today on women, young ladies, if we found our worth in God, our identity in Him, instead of these things that will pass away. If we refuse to accept imagined offenses that destroy relationships and stop us from living God's way, what if we did speak those encouraging words and built up one another? Women that loved God in words, but also in action, confident in who God created them to be. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter 5 in the closing of this message. And then in a moment, I'm going to have you ladies stand with me. This is from the message, the Bible, the message. And you understand that's not a translation. Galatians 5, 16. My counsel is this, live freely, animated, and motivated by God's Spirit. This is to everyone. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness, for there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are antithetical, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on a given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. This isn't the first time I warned you, you know. If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Would all the ladies stand with me, please? Read along with me. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Since this is the kind of life we have chosen, the life of the Spirit, let us make sure that we do not just hold it as an idea in our heads, 
or a sentiment in our hearts, but work out its implication in every detail of our lives. That means we will not compare ourselves with each other as if one of us were better and another worse. We have far more interesting things to do with our lives. Each of us is an original. Let's say that again. Each of us is an original. I had an eight-foot fence at the back of my yard when I first, we first built our house 20 years ago because there were trailers behind it. Somebody owned some property back there and right up on our property line. So I put an eight-foot eight fence so they wouldn't look over into our back window. But then they moved all that. And uh, then the storm came and knocked her fence down. And Josh actually got a whole bunch of people in the church. Y'all went all over the community fixing things. I got home from my vacation and my fence was down. He never thought about fixing mine. That's just a side note. <laughs> That's a true story too. <laughs> I'm glad you were blessed, those of you. I see some of you standing right now that were blessed. But my, my friend Casey Head on his back fence had put in a three-foot fence. So I was able to talk Renee into allowing me to put a three-foot fence in the back of my backyard so I could look out over the beautiful meadow just as Casey did. Whatever, it's not really a meadow, but, you know, it works well here. But it is pretty. It's nice, better than an eight-foot fence. Ladies, when you keep your eyes at the top of a three-foot fence, you're going to see the dirt on the other side. And you will never reach the moon, much less the plan that God has for you by looking at the top of a three-foot fence. You're going to have to get your eyes up. You're going to have to get your eyes up to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Because when you look down, you're going to go down. But when you look up to him, you're going to go up. Young ladies in this room, giving all to Jesus Christ will cost you your life. He wants everything. He wants all of you. And we are committed at Family Church. We're thankful for every old person like me. 40-year-old and 50-year-old and 60-year-old and 90-year-old. And... But you young ladies standing out there, we're committed to making this better for you than it's ever been. We want to help you live an untangled life. We want to keep you from tangling up your life by poor decisions and bad choices and looking at a, the top of a three-foot fence. We want you to look at Jesus we want you to seek his kingdom and his righteousness above everything. But you've got to be a woman that's not just in love with the idea of following Jesus, but you're actually following Jesus. Actually doing it. We desire to have a body of women that pursue God, make disciples, embrace the call of God on their life, and in their role in their family. 
Thank God for every gift that he gives you. Utilize those to their fullest. Celebrate the gifts of others. And feed the spirit of God that speaks life to you. And starve the voice of the enemy that tells you you are not what you are not and how you will never be and points out how you compare to other people. You can't climb to the top of the mountain doing that. You will only reach the place God has for you by keeping your eyes on God and celebrating other sisters in Christ as they come along with you. Seeing their strengths and thanking God for what he gave them, but asking God to help you be all you're called to be. I'm gonna pray over you, but first before I do, if you're here this morning and you have, in any time we're together on a Sunday morning, you, you understand there are people in the room that regardless of their smile or their whatever, and this is not everybody, but there are people that are really struggling today. There are women that are in a tough spot in their life, their marriage, their friendship, their lack of friendship, their whatever it might be. And if you want to make a bold step and step in, just step into the aisle, right where, right there as I pray this prayer. If you're, if, you're, if you're having a particular struggle, spiritually, emotionally, physically, relationally, and you have the courage to step into that aisle and just stand there in this closing prayer, I want to pray over you this morning. Pray with me this morning. Lord, I love you. And I thank you for the blessing of every woman that stands in this room. God, I pray that you would help them be everything that you've called them to be. God, I pray that you would bring peace in the midst of their storm. God, those that are desperate today, those that feel there is no hope today and there's no way for it to get better and there's no answer in sight, God, I pray that you would touch them today. I pray that you would supernaturally minister life to them, whether it's spiritually or physically or relationally or emotionally, whatever area it might be in, God. God, help them do what seems impossible. Help them climb the wall that there's no way over. Help them walk across the water that there's no way to get across. God, we are not limited by our ways and our things. We are not limited by what we can do, and there is no limit to what you can do. God, I pray that for every woman that took the courage to step out in those aisles this morning, that you would help us to continue to pray for them and have a heart for them and to care for them, God, and for their friends to support them and to encourage them and to give them hope. I rebuke Satan and every power of hell that seeks to defeat the women in our lives and the women in our church. I rebuke you, Satan. These ladies are made in the image of Jesus Christ. They are made in the image of God. They were brought here for a purpose. And there's nothing that has happened in their life to this point that can stop you from working in their lives if they will turn their heart, their mind, their eyes to you and take one step at a time. Lord, I love you today. I worship and honor your name. 
And I pray that you would do in the lives of every lady in this room, let them see a picture of the godly woman you want them to be and that you will help them be if they will simply follow you. In the holy name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Family Church Podcast. You can stay connected with us at familychurch.org or by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission at Family Church is to pursue God, make disciples, and strengthen families. If you're in the West Monroe area, we would love for you to come join us. You can check out familychurch.org for our location and service times. 